If I can't preach after that, I just need to go home. That, appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for leading us this morning in church. Good singing. I tell you what, you sound better and better every week. Once you open your Bible with me to Job chapter 42, and, and just like the words of that song, we said, Behold him. Just stand and behold him and receive him well job chapter 42 we we look at the passage and we see the lord restoring everything that the devil had taken away from job somebody say amen but really chapter 42 is not about job as much as it is about the lord and who he is and what he's done for job i mean the Lord is the one who's on the stage. The Lord is the one who's on the platform when you look at Job chapter 42. Now he's just spoken and he's spoken for a few chapters to Job about who he is and, and what he does for his creation and how he is sovereign over all of it. But now we see in Job 42 that God displays that perfectly in the way that he treats Job at the end of the book. Now Job at the beginning... He didn't know the end of the book. We've known that light is coming, that it got dark for a while, but at the end of the tunnel, Job's going to be blessed beyond his imagination. Now, we know that, but Job didn't know that as he was entering into the trial. You know, Job was squeezed for a time, and you know, you've gone through that. Many of you may be even there right now. You're being squeezed right now, and it seems like the life is going to be squeezed right out of you. And then Job was pressed like on a touchstone. You know what a touchstone is? Where a jeweler will rub a, a precious metal against the touchstone just to see if it, if it is truly uh, pure metal. Well, that's what the Bible describes is what it's like for us as God is testing us. And it's like Job was just rubbed across that te- touchstone. And may, many of you, you might be right there. But many of you may be on the other end of that and you're able to look back and say God is faithful and God's always been faithful. And that's what Job is going to see at the end here is that God is absolutely faithful. How many of you remember, uh, you know, a long time ago, (laughs) uh, I'm going to date myself here whenever you're watching TV. You know, the TV had the, the, the rabbit ears that stick up with a little bit of aluminum foil on the top there, and you turn the knob and it goes, when you're trying to dial to the, tune into the channel, some of the, the teenagers are going, what is he talking about? But you remember, you know, right before the commercial break, uh, for, okay, teenagers, commercial, that, that means ad. Uh, you know, like you have an ad in the middle, of your, you know, you're watching your video and it pops up and then you have to skip it and then you go on, you know, that. Well, see, back then you couldn't skip it. You just had to wait. And sometimes the, the commercials were longer than the actual, the video that you're watching, the, the show that you're watching. But they would say right before the commercial break, they'd say, stay tuned 
We'll be right back after this. Right, you remember that? The after this. And if you just held on for a few minutes, the after this would come up and then you'd get back to your program, right? Well, see, here's the thing. For all of us, as we endure the suffering, not an, not an advertisement, but as you endure human suffering here on this earth, the promise is that God makes is that there is an after this. Hey, it's coming. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be beyond your wildest imaginations of what God will do after this. And the problem is, though, here's the problem. We have to wait. That's the hard part. But in the waiting, there has to be not only waiting, there's got to be trusting and enduring and staying faithful to Him who is faithful to you. Now that's what Job had to learn. And listen, if he never had to endure the suffering, he wouldn't understand the value of the after this. Amen. And that's in essence, why we endure the suffering that we endure. So let's just get a little taste of what the after this will be like from Job 42. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pick up in verse 7. And I know it's a little long, but we're going to read all the way to the end of the text. End of the book of the Job. End of book, the book of Job. You've made it to this point. Let's finish strong. Here we go. Verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job. Notice there's a few time markers, time stamps in here, even though it doesn't tell us how long it was he had to endure, but notice what it says. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls, and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer a burnt offerings for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer, not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Two times he says Job had spoken what was right. Verse 9, So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before, and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he, came, and he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. And, he, and the name of the second, Keziah. And the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. 
And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, y'all catch that? After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his son's sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the end of the book. Sometimes as we're going through the midst of the suffering and trials, we forget that there's an after this. But remind our hearts, Lord, today that you do have a perfect plan and a sure promise for each and every one of us that we will behold you face to face and the trials of this life, Lord, they will grow strangely dim as we behold you. Father, I pray that you would Lift our heads today. Lift our hearts today. Help us understand that though our suffering lasts for the night, our joy is coming in the morning. Lord, for the one who's down in the pit, we know that today you can lift them out. Lord, for the one uh, who's tired and ready to give up, you can renew their strength. And I pray, Lord, that for the one today that does not know you, the restorer, the giver of life and the giver of all good things, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you, that they'd hear of your gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, they would believe in their heart, they'd confess with their mouth, and they would be saved today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm so thankful for the end of the book. I'm so thankful for the after this for Job. And we understand by faith that there was a day that Jesus broke in to those under places and he lifted Job up out of that place and he took Job into his presence before the Lord. And that's where he is now. And the after this for Job is a glorious after this. But just the the picture of what God did his earthly life here on this earth, it, it tells us that there is... A, a glorious restoration that God has planned for every single one of us. Our God is a God who loves to restore things. I, I love to take something that's broken and tinker with it and fix it. Does any, any of you guys in here, can you just, I saw Jason raise his hand first. That man, I tell you what, he knows how to turn a wrench. But there's some other people in this room, I know you guys, that you love to take that old thing and turn it into something new. I love to put a coat, and some ladies, uh, there's some ladies in here too, that you just want to fix something. And listen, I think that that desire in the human heart, it comes directly from the Lord. Our God is a Mr. Fix-It God. He loves to fix things. And he looks in our, in, on our brokenness and He sees us and He knows what He can do and how He can restore us and make us better than we've ever been. Can you say amen to that? I'm going to be better than I've ever been one day. One day after this. And so I want us to think about how God has done this for Job. And some of you say, well, it, it, it took time, right? And some people will say, time heals all wounds. People say that. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I think, no, that's not right. <laughs> time doesn't heal anything. Our God in time will heal all wounds. 
There's a big difference there. Hope you get it. Hope you pay attention. Because it's not just time that heals Job. It's the activity of God in His life that heals Job. It's the faithfulness of God who had promised that He would restore Job. That's who ought to get the credit. Not the passage of time. But sometimes it takes time. Amen? When we've been through the test and we've been through that time and we get to the after this, we realize, number one, that He restores reputations. He restores our reputations. Look at what it says in verses uh, 7 through 9 again. His friends, God points out the wrong that they had done against Job. And he says, my anger burns against you. Now, you don't want to be on the end of that. I'm going to tell you something. You don't want to be. How many of you have ever touched something that's hot? I mean, I, I'm going to tell you about a, a, something I did one day that was just absolutely stupid. I was pressure washing my house, and I thought about this the other day. I was pressure washing my house again, same time about a, a year ago, I guess. Um, <laughs> I had been pressure washing for about an hour, and I had to put gas in my pressure washer. It ran out of gas, so I filled it back up. I went back to crank up the pressure washer, and I set my hand down on the muffler. And I didn't realize it was burning until I heard the sizzle of my hand, and it was hot. And that's just a little taste of what hell's going to be like. It's going to burn, folks. The Bible says an unquenchable fire. And then God's anger was burning, the Bible says, against Job's Friends, you don't want to be on the receiving end of that. Job's friends were in danger. But God said to them, take an offering and bring it to Job, and Job will pray for you. My servant Job will pray for you, he said. And so Job received the words of the Lord, and Job went and prayed for his friends. And the Bible says, after Job prayed, God forgave Job's three friends. When I think about that, it makes me think about the character of Job. His reputation had been drugged through the mud by those three friends. They immediately, as soon as Job began to complain about his suffering, they said, well, you've caused this, Job. All you need to do is repent. You remember those words? The wounding words of his friends and how they had cut so deep. But Job was never more Christ-like than when he offered prayers for the forgiveness of the friends who had torn him to pieces with their words. I wonder... Is that true of you? Now listen, there's been people out there, I know this of every one of you, because we all live in the same world. They've drugged your name through the mud. They've said hurtful things about you. They've said things that are wrong. And when they were maligning you, they were speaking the language of our enemy. The Bible calls him the devil. You know what the word devil means? It means slanderer. That's what it means. Someone who speaks against you. The Bible says that he accuses us night and day before God, and that's exactly what he did to Job. He went to God, and, and, and the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, Job's getting something from God. That's the reason he does what he does. And, and have you not put a hedge around him and his, and his house, all that he has? On every side you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. What was Satan saying? He's saying, Job is a blasphemer in his heart. All you have to do is touch him and hurt him. And he'll curse you. But God had just said there's no one like him. Job's reputation was that he wasn't a blasphemer. He was a fearer of God. He loved God. It was a lie, wasn't it? It was a lie from the pit of hell. How many of you have been on the receiving end of a lie from the pit of hell? Yeah? People have talked bad. I remember whenever I was in grade school and I had a teacher that just, did, I guess she didn't like me or she was having a bad day or something like that. She just came in the room. She said, you get up and you get up and you go to the office. And she came right down the hall right behind us and I went into the office. I'd been there plenty of times before. But that day... I promise I did not do anything wrong that day. Just that day. <laughs> but I went into the office. And she stood there right before the principal and told the principal that I was doing some, something, disrupting the class, boxing with, some other, with the other kid and all this stuff. It's like, what in the world? I didn't do that. And I, I didn't do that. Well, the principal, he said, well, this is what your teacher said you did. Come over here to this side of my desk. He pulled out the paddle, and he paddled. Pow! Can't do that anymore in school, but got me a good one that day. I deserved many paddlings while I was in school, and I got a few. But that day, I didn't deserve that one. And I cried more about the fact that I didn't do what she said I did and then I that came home on the little slip of paper that they send home with you so your parents can sign it. And I told my mom and dad with tears in my eyes, I didn't do that. And they said, well, we have to believe what your teacher said. So, you know, but that, I didn't get a paddle in at home. It's, sometimes when I got a paddle at school, I get a paddle at home too. And I don't know if any of your parents did that or not. <laughs> you act up at school, you get it at home too. But I didn't that day. But I was so upset, and I went to my room, and I prayed. And I said, Lord, when you come back, they're going to know I didn't do that. <laughs> that it was a lie. Now, as silly as that sounds, it's the truth. Because all the lies that have ever been told about you, all the hurtful things that anyone's ever been done to you. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Amen. Listen to what Paul tells us to do. He says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's going to take care of it for you. Now that... That was the prayer. I, I meant to show you uh, Psalm 26.1, which is David's prayer. And this is what we pray sometimes. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. I, I don't deserve what people have been doing to me. 
we're called to be like Job. Offer forgiveness. Give them forgiveness. Now the Lord has a word to say about, about you saying something else about someone else. And listen, if all of us, we've received that, it ought to be a warning to us not to do it to someone else. Amen? Don't judge them. Don't say things about them that aren't true that you don't know are true. And if you do know something about them that's true, then you go to them and you talk to them about it. You don't go talk to other people about it. But Romans 14, uh, Paul says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? See, this is what the, the, the refrain of the book of Job is. that Job is the Lord's servant. He says, my servant Job, so many times. In Scripture, and this is what he says about you and me, that we are his servants, we belong to him, and even more than that, we are the sons and daughters of God. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Amen. The Lord is able to make you stand, and me stand. Psalm 138, verse 7, though... I walk in the midst of trouble. You preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand delivers me. Maybe they've accused you. Maybe they've said things about you that aren't true. I have good news this morning. You continue to walk steadfastly in your integrity. Do it unto the Lord and not, a, not unto men. And the Lord will vindicate you. After this. So he restores reputation. But secondly, I want to tell you, he restores relationships. And we'll go pretty quick through this. But not only has Job received back his friends through the gift of forgiveness that he offered and extended to them, now he begins to receive back all of his relatives and all of his other friends and acquaintances, the servants of his household, all of those people now, they begin to recognize Job again and they return to him. And Job... Uh, 19, the Bible says that Job had said, He put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. He even talked about his wife. And he says, my, my wife can't stand my breath. And she, walks, she goes away from me. You know, that's how I know Allison loves me. Even when my breath is bad, she still puts up with me, right? But the Lord, He, he, he restores our broken relationships. The people that have left us, and He brings them back through love and forgiveness and when we pray about that, like if, we, if we've messed up and we know we've messed up and we've lost someone as a result, the Lord can restore that. Amen. You pray and you ask Him to do that and He will. The Lord restores our broken relationships. And let me tell you this also. I want to I encourage some of your hearts this morning about this. Because not only did Job lose those friends, he also lost his own children. He lost servants. He lost people physically to death. But I want to tell you, no one who has ever died in the Lord has ever been lost. Can you say amen to that? No one who has ever died in the Lord has ever been lost. 
they're still there. First Thessalonians chapter four. Just uh, remember what Paul says there. First, Thess- First Thessalonians chapter four, verse seventeen. He says, "We'll be caught up together in the in the air to meet the Lord in the air." And so we'll be always with the Lord. But I want you to get the, the pronouns here. He says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. You get that? In the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. What does that mean? It doesn't mean I will go to heaven and I will be with the Lord. It means we all will be there together. There's a great reunion in heaven. And no one who has ever died in the Lord has ever been lost. So I want to encourage you with that. The Lord restores our relationships. So look again at what it says in verses 10 and 11. We'll read it. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. Listen, there's a table that's prepared one day for you. The Bible talks about how there's many seats at that table. There's many rooms in heaven. The Bible says many will come from the east and the west and sit down at the table and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somebody say, well, will we recognize each other in heaven? Well, we'll at least recognize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why wouldn't we recognize each other? The Bible says we will know as we have been fully known in heaven. You certainly will recognize your loved ones in heaven. I think about this. I've known friends. I had friends in seminary. And, and we were the, the best friends in seminary. But you know what happens in seminary, if, if you do well enough and you make the grades, you graduate. And when you graduate, the Lord moves you on to another assignment. He says, okay, now this is a transition period. He moves you to, into your pastorate or your missionary field or wherever you go. And, and I've, I've you have chaplains that I've known and I, I've got friends, and I haven't kept in touch with them. I wish that I could keep in touch with all of them, but guess what? There's going to be a day when I sit at the table with them again. It's going to be a glorious day. I think about my grandmother and how she used to train me up as a child, and she would say, we're going to pray this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, and we'd pray the Lord's Prayer together before we went to bed and she's with Jesus now there's going to be a day that I sit at the table with my grandmother and I see her again he restores relationships and folks if there's a relationship in your life today that's broken take it to the Lord and say Lord I want you to restore this relationship. Some of you think there's no hope for that relationship. There's no hope for my marriage. There's no hope for my relationship with my adult child. There's no hope for my relationship with my brother or my sister. And I want to tell you right now, there's absolutely hope in the Lord for that relationship, not just in heaven, but even here and now today, He can restore that relationship. If you'll take it to Him. And it may take time. But after this... He restores that relationship. I want to tell you thirdly, He restores rewards. Now look, 
The Bible says that there's nothing that's ever been taken away from you here on this earth that the Lord will not restore 100 fold. If it's a good thing, it's going to be in heaven. Somebody say, well, will animals, will my pet be in heaven? Well, I would say, I don't know about your pet specifically. Well, I don't know whether it was good or bad and whether it went to hell. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> animals are a good thing, amen? They bring us comfort and God created them. And somebody say, well, are there animals in heaven? And I'll say, absolutely. Why wouldn't there be? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights above, from the Father of lights, right? If every good and perfect gift is in heaven and we just get what trickles down to this earth, wouldn't you expect heaven to be so much greater and better than here? All the good things are in heaven. All the good things are where God is. And so the Lord restores Job's riches and rewards here on this earth, but He still has treasures in heaven. And that's what the Scripture teaches us. Look again at verse 10. It says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. The fortunes of So he had riches here on this earth, and he had riches in heaven. Look at what it says next. Look down in verse 12. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep. That's double from what he had. He had 6,000 camels. That's double from what he had. He had a thousand yoke of oxen, and that's double what he had. He had a thousand female donkeys, double what he had. Look again at that chart with me. I want to show, I've shown this before, but I'll show it again that I've made. Notice how in chapters 1, 2 through 3, lists all of the, the mounts that he had, but look over in the next column. Everything is double. That, but now, when you think about this with me real quick, riches here on this earth, but also... In verse 13, he, ha he also had seven sons and three daughters. So how many children was he blessed, blessed with in his latter days? Just look at your hands. Ten. He had ten. How many did he have in the beginning? Ten. So you say, well, that's not double. He's got ten in heaven. And he's got ten on this earth. I believe it was a reminder for Job. Job was counting all his oxen, counting all of his sheep, counting all his camels, all his donkeys. And he's a double, 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 double. And he gets to his kids and he says, well, I have ten. I think it's a reminder for the Lord, of the Lord, to say to Job, just wait a little bit longer. We're not done blessing yet. And the Lord blessed him. He gave him so much more. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Set your heart on things to come. Luke 18, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life, this time, and in the age to come. Remember, after this, eternal life. You know, you appreciate things that you've lost for a time, but receive back 
much more than things that you've held on to, right? You think about that? When you found something that was lost, don't you appreciate it so much more? We used to travel and do vacation in North Carolina almost every, every summer. And after Alice and I got married, we kind of kept that tradition alive for a few years until my grandparents uh, passed on. But there's a lake there. They lived on a lake called Lake Santitla. It's up in, up in North Carolina. Beautiful, crystal clear, spring-fed mountain lake. See clear to the bottom. And there's this beautiful rock cliff where you can just run and just jump off, dive off, and it's probably 20-something feet deep below the cliff. And it's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. And we were jumping off the cliff, and I had forgotten to take the keys out of my pocket to the car. And I jumped off that cliff and lost the key, came up to the top and got ready to go to the car, and said, no keys. Oh, my goodness. I left them in my pocket. They must be down there on the bottom. Well, we looked and looked and couldn't find them, could never notice them, never could see them. I dove down a couple times, couldn't find them. Well, there were some kids there that were kind of watching. We fortunately had an extra set of keys. We were able to get home. <laughs> we got back to the place where we were staying. The next day, we went back out to the lake, and just as we were approaching the, the rock again, one of the kids that had been there, couldn't have been more than 10 years old, walked up with our car keys. He had dove down to the bottom of the lake, found the car keys, and brought them back up to us and handed us that car, the set of car keys to the car. I thought that was amazing. The next day, the, the keys showed back up. Don't you appreciate things after you've lost them and then gotten them back? You're like, wow, oh gosh, I'm so glad I got my keys back, right? That's how we feel. And, and, and truly, everything that we've lost here on this earth, God's going to restore it. Doesn't it give us some perspective on this earth and things in this life? Can't we, can't we give it all over to God and say, God, I trust you with this. I trust you with my possessions. I trust you with my people, my, my life, my family. Everything I have, Lord, it's yours. Because we know that even if we lose it here on this earth, we'll get it back. Amen. Can you do that? Jesus said, if you're not willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. So to learn from him means to trust him. I think about this young man. We call him a prodigal. He told his father, he said, give me my inheritance. In other words, you're as good as me. Good to me as dead. He took his inheritance. He went away. The Bible says he squandered his inheritance on loose living. And in the, in the pit, he remembered all the good things that are in his father's house. And how his father treated not just the member of his, of his family, but the servants in his household. He said, even the servants of my father's house are better off than I am right now. 
In Luke 15, it says, He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. See, the prodigal son squandered his inheritance on loose living. But when he returned to his father's house, he was eating steak. The older brother said, hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. Remember what the father said to the older son? He said, all that I have is yours. So I don't care whether you're the older son and you've been with the Lord all this time and you feel like you've lost something. I want you to hear the Father say to you, all that is mine is yours. And if you're the prodigal, then you need to come to the Lord today, master of the house, and lay your life at His feet and say, have mercy on me. He'll say to you, my son, my daughter, which is lost, which was lost, has been found. And He'll give you the riches of His household if you'll come to Him. He restores our reward. Let me tell you lastly, He restores rejoicing. And the Bible says that Job does say something at the end. And, and this is the, the last words of Job that we hear. And it's the names of his three daughters, which is, I mean, it's an interesting way to end the book. But it's, it's amazing. First of all, it's remarkable that Job even has these three daughters because if Job had gotten what he wanted, Job would be six feet under. Or even more than that, he would never have been born. But yet Job in his latter days is welcoming children and he holds these three daughters in his arms and he names these three daughters. The Bible says he calls the first one Jemima. And I think about that, it makes me want pancakes. Ain't Jemima. You know what Jemima means? It means dove. And essentially what he's naming his daughter is peace. And so the first daughter's name, Jemima, means peace. The second daughter's name... It talks about perfume or fragrance. Keziah. So peace and, and fragrance. I mean, he's able to, to smell the roses again. He's able to, to enjoy life again. And then the last is beauty. He's able to see the beauty in God's creation and behold the beauty of his, his newborn daughter again enjoying life God's given him a new lease on life and at the end it says Job died an old man and full of days the Bible says he was full of days but not only was he full of days his days were full because he understood the faithfulness of his God 
And he knew that God was good. Maybe. I mean, this is the way the book of Job really is. It, it begins at this high point. Here's Job. And there's nobody like Job in all the land. Job's faithful to his God. He's walking in, te- in, in, in his integrity. And he's got all these blessings. And then at the end of the book, here's Job again. A man, old, full of days. Double the days that he had to begin with. And he's got children. And he's got servants. And he's got lands. And he's got possessions. And he's dying with a smile on his face. Two mountaintops. But the majority of the book is the valley. That's where it is. But don't forget, not only is Job praising here on this mountain and here on this mountain, but you remember what he said in chapter 1. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That word is the same word used in chapter 1 as it is right here in chapter 12. The Lord bless Job. It's the word Barak. The devil wants to rip the praises right from your lips. Psalm 113 says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the setting, the name of the Lord be praised. Psalm 70 says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Psalm 105, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Maybe for a time, whatever circumstance that your life has gone through, the praise has been stripped from your lips. It's been difficult to rejoice in the Lord because of whatever you're facing. I'm going to tell you, the Lord is the Lord who restores your rejoicing. And it will overflow after this, I promise you. When you see Him face to face, you won't be able to stop. But what He wants is right here and right now for your rejoicing to overflow. Can you see the peace? Can you smell the fragrance? Can you behold the beauty of our God? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe today, because of the circumstances of your life, you're hurting within. And you need to just take it to the Lord. The Lord who is so good and who is so faithful. Just take it to Him and trust Him. And know that even though you may be suffering now, after this, the Lord brings restoration. Maybe today you're here and you've never given your heart to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, the Lord Jesus... God incarnate came. The essence of God in human flesh. He lived on this earth a sinless life. He was maligned as a sinner. And He died on a cross for our sin. 
And then He was raised again on the third day. And He says to you, if you will put your faith and trust in His sacrifice that He made for you, that He will save you from your sin and He will give you a home in heaven with Him. And you will live with Him for eternity. If you're hearing that today and you're believing that in your heart, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I've done things that I know are wrong and I've failed to do the things I know that are right. But Jesus, I believe in my heart that you died for my sin on the cross. That you paid the debt that I owed. And now I trust you. I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Write my name down in the Lamb's book of life. Give me a home in heaven with you. Lord, put your spirit in my heart. I thank you, Lord, for being willing to die in my place and save me a sinner. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. And it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as you're able? So glad that you've chosen to be a part of our service this morning. Now we're, have, we're going to close with an invitation. And this invitation is for you. If you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. Our altar counselors will be here. If you're coming this morning and you're testifying of the prayer that you just prayed in your heart and saying, I've asked Jesus to be my Savior, we welcome you and we rejoice with the salvation that the Lord has given to you. And we want to give you resources and and give you a small group where you can grow. And we want to offer you believers baptism so that you can proclaim that biblically. And if you want to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, this church welcomes you. So you come. This is your invitation. You come as the Lord leads you. Let us uh, sing together. Have thine own way.